Welcome back to Informed and Inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. God's Big Story. That's the name of the series we began in our last episode together. And it will take us several episodes to slowly walk through the acronym we introduced in the last episode, Cracker Jack. So for a quick recap, the word cracker summarizes the story of the Old Testament, and Jack summarizes the story of the New Testament. Both the Old Testament and the New are telling God's one big story, but Cracker Jack will give us some hooks to hang things on and help us make sense of where everything fits in. So Cracker stands for creation, rebellion, Abraham, covenant with Moses and Israel, kingdom, exile, and return. And Jack stands for Jesus, all nations, comprehensive teaching, and King Jesus returns. The Bible is a big book with lots of different types of writing in it. There's history, poetry, letters, apocalyptic literature, for example. And not only that, but where we use things like boldened or italicized or all capitalized text, ancient writers didn't have those tools. So they use things like repetition, parallelism, and other literary devices to highlight the most important things. So it's helpful simply to have that in mind as we read and study Scripture so that we pick up on things that the text intends to highlight for us and draw our attention to. But having a larger framework for where everything fits helps us immensely as we seek to make sense of the big story and find cohesion between all of its various parts. And that's what Cracker Jack is meant to help us with. Here's another way to think about it. If you're going to travel somewhere new, you need a map. You need to know where you're going and what route to take to get there. For many of us, the Bible may be new territory, or at least parts of it are new territory to us. So we need a map, a GPS that helps us navigate the world of the Bible and travel through its pages in a way that truly helps and benefits us. In the Owens house, we've been building a lot of Lego creations lately. We got our girls a new set of Legos for Christmas, so they've been building all sorts of things. A frog, a pink house, a bird, a cool scooter. They're having a blast building something new each day, but some Legos have a tiny little groove in them where things snap into place. For example, as I was helping Hattie build a window for her house, I had the piece that served as the frame of the window, and it had those tiny little grooves where the window pieces snap into it that hold it in place and allow the window pieces to rotate so that you can open or close the window. And these little grooves, and some pieces have connectors instead of grooves, but they're both intended to connect pieces together and hold them securely in place. Each of the words in our Cracker Jack acronym is meant to do the same thing. The acronym as a whole is meant to be like a big window frame, and each word or phrase from the acronym individually serves as a groove that helps us secure things in place and fit it all together. So in this episode, we're going to unpack the first letter of our acronym, and that is creation. The very first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's big story begins with this colossal event of the creation of all things. 
the one true God who exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit makes the universe and everything in it. In Genesis 1, there are three days of forming and then three days of filling. The Creator King builds a glorious kingdom to rule over in all His incomparable goodness. And the creation of humanity is the pinnacle of the Lord's creative work. In Genesis 1, 26-28, which is commonly called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate, we learn that mankind's task is first of all to submit to the great king over all creation. But as an expression of that submission and ultimate loyalty to the great king, humanity is to rule over and cultivate the earth as kings and queens themselves, developing the massive potential that lies dormant in creation. So another way to say it is that out of creation flows the glorious responsibility of cultivation. There are riches buried in creation, and humanity's task is to imitate God by digging up those riches and creating new things with them. In this, and in many other ways, we reflect and resemble our Creator. And this massive responsibility is still being carried out to this day. We continue to create and make things out of the materials God has given to us in creation. And all of our work is meant to be motivated and aimed at the glory of God in the world. All our work is meant to be an expression of our worship. But of course, not everyone worships the one true God. That's what the gospel is all about. Making joyful worshipers of the Lord out of men and women who left to themselves would want nothing to do with Him. If we are someone who loves and worships the God revealed to us in the Bible, it is not because of anything we've done but it is only because of what God has done in us and for us. Because of Christ's perfect obedience as our representative and His sacrificial death in our place, and only because of that, can we be made right with God and be brought back into His presence. And after that initial salvation comes a lifelong journey of aligning our lives with God's Word because we know that God's goodness and grace stand behind all His instructions to us. Living in line with His good design is what is best for us. It's how we experience true and lasting joy, both now in life and for eternity. So once our hearts have been changed by His grace, we gladly submit to His Word and are excited and eager to play a part in cultivating and developing His good creation. Our hearts begin to cry out in the words of Psalm 72, verse 19, which says, "'Praise be to His glorious name forever.'" And may the whole earth be filled with His glory. So throughout the rest of this episode, let's unpack three important truths from Genesis 1 and 2. Number one is in the creation story, we discover a God who is both powerful and personal. This is what theologians call His transcendence and His eminence. Divine transcendence means that God transcends all things and reigns over them. And divine eminence means that God does not step back after creation, but is engaged and involved with the world. He is present in it. So in other words, the Lord is over us, that's transcendence, and He's with us, that's eminence. He is powerful and personal, a king and a covenant maker. Covenants in Scripture are all about God drawing near to establish a relationship with humanity. God created all things not out of a sense of need or loneliness, 
but because his joy was so full that it could not be contained. His uncontainable joy burst open and spilled over into the act of creation so that he might share it with us. And we all know that feeling, right? Maybe we just finished a good movie or a phenomenal book, and we can hardly contain our delight in it. We just want to talk to someone about it. I just finished this book called Redeeming Your Time, and the subtitle is Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. And through the years, I've grown increasingly interested in learning how to use my time well and how to be productive. So I've really enjoyed this book. My wife, Anna, is super thankful that I finished the book, though, because just about every afternoon, I would come downstairs and share an insight or two, or sometimes several, that I gleaned from the book. Unfortunately, this book just wasn't her cup of tea. To Anna, as a mother of three little kids, keeping them all alive each day sounds pretty productive in her mind. But side note, to all of you moms out there, you guys seriously rock. I've never seen someone work as hard as my wife taking care of our children. Motherhood is an incredible blessing, but boy, it is quite the massive responsibility too. It's draining, exhausting, often frustrating, but I'm convinced it is one of the most important jobs on the planet. So mothers, in the words of the Apostle Paul, know that in the Lord your work is not in vain. And let us not grow weary in doing good, as he says in Galatians. The good we do to our children is the most lasting legacy we can leave behind. But we experience it in parenting too, though, don't we? When we see our precious little child do something new or exceptionally kind, this excitement that we're talking about with reading a new book or seeing a good movie— We do it with our children when we run to find our spouse to tell them how precious that moment was. We want to share our excitement with someone else. And that's what led God to create all things in Genesis 1. Not neediness, but this uncontainable joy that he had. Before Genesis 1, there was our three-in-one God, one God who exists eternally as a community of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the infinite joy and happiness between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is what could not be contained, which resulted in the overflow of creation. God's happy love spilled over into the work of creation so that we might be pulled into that divine circle to enjoy that wonderful fellowship as well. So God is powerful, and yet God also wants a relationship with us. He is personal. That's the God we discover in the creation story. Point number two is in the creation story, we discover the good design of God. Genesis 1 and 2 give us the pattern of the kingdom, as Vaughn Roberts calls it in his book, God's Big Picture. These two opening chapters of the Bible provide us with the blueprints for how things should look in God's good world. Of course, after sin entered the picture, everything got all messed up, so now the way things are isn't necessarily the way they should be. Things are out of alignment, need to be set back on track. And Genesis 1 and 2 show us what getting back on track looks like. In the creation story, we see a blueprint for worship. In Genesis 3 verse 8, it says, And Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This verse comes right after Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. So it says, The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin ruined our relationship with God. 
But before they disobeyed the Lord, they would have loved and longed for these times of joyful fellowship, walking through the garden with God. Before sin entered the picture, God walked with them in the garden, and there was unbroken relationship between God and humanity. That is how things should be. Human beings have a God-sized hole in their hearts, and that hole will only be filled in relationship with the Lord. And that's what he invites us back into through the gospel. Having dealt with our sins once and for all in Christ, he welcomes us back into his presence to worship and adore him both now and for all eternity. In the creation story, we also see, though, a blueprint for marriage and our God-given design of being either male or female. God makes it very clear in his word that he makes us either male or female. This reality about ourselves is determined by God, not by us. In Genesis 2, we also see the very first marriage, one that is meant to serve as the pattern for all other marriages. In Genesis 2, what we find, and the rest of Scripture supports and reinforces this, is that marriage is a lifelong covenant relationship between one man and one woman. This is God's good design. And when we step outside of God's good and gracious boundaries for how we are to live, we invite trouble and misery into our lives. God gives us rules for how to live life well in His world because He loves us and He knows what is best for us. But when we disregard God's good design, we step outside His gracious protection and suffer accordingly. Romans 3.16 says that there is ruin and misery in the paths of those who go their own way and ignore God. And Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13 says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. That last phrase, for your own good, is so important to keep in mind. When God tells us to do something or to stay away from something, it's because He cares about us. Behind every command of God, we find His gracious care and compassion, and that should help us trust Him as we seek to walk in His ways in every area of life. But back to the pattern thing for a second. Just as all human marriages are to be patterned after this initial marriage between Adam and Eve, in Ephesians 5, we learn that even this first human marriage was patterned after an even greater reality, a more glorious marriage relationship. And that magnificent relationship is the one between Christ and his bride, the church. Ephesians 5.32, after talking about how a man leaves his mother and father to become one flesh with his wife, says this, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what we learn here is that human marriages are patterned after and meant to be a picture of the glorious relationship between Jesus and his people. The joy, intimacy, and friendship contained in the best of human marriages is only the faintest echo of the unimaginable ecstasy and delight that will mark God's relationship with His people in the end. That is incredible, and it gives human marriage a massively profound purpose, to glorify God by providing a little picture of the relationship between Jesus and His church. That is a high, high calling and one that the best of human marriages fails to achieve every single day. 
but it is also one that God will empower us to continue aiming for, however imperfectly, as we seek to magnify His goodness and grace in marriage. Now, lastly, point number three. In the creation story, we discover the deepest desires of humanity. In the creation story, only humanity is made in the image of God, and that carries along with it several profound responsibilities and privileges. First, it means we have inherent dignity and worth as special creations of God. And second, it means we have a unique purpose, to glorify God in a way that no other creature can. The image of God in us includes both our intrinsic dignity as well as our destiny. It means we have a goal to chase after and work toward. Our sin distorts and disfigures the image of God in us, but it never eradicates it. Sanctification, or the work of the Spirit to purify those who belong to Jesus, is the lifelong process in which our hearts are gradually rid of all the impurities that remain there so that we shine as lights in a dark world as we endeavor to give the world a tiny little glimpse of God's character through our lives and our lips. But in Genesis 1 and 2, we also discover three of the deepest desires of humanity. And those are number one, identity, number two, intimacy, and number three, influence. So first, identity. We all wrestle with that question, who am I? Who am I supposed to be? What we learn in Genesis is that we are not meant to decide this question. We are meant to discover it. Adam and Eve are very passive in Genesis 1 and 2. God is the great actor in this opening scene of God's big story. All the activity flows from His initiative. Adam and Eve don't decide that they'll be male or female, and they don't decide that they'll be made in the image of God. Instead, God decides these things for them, and they discover these incredible realities about themselves. So if we were to boil it down, perhaps the main thing we could say that we learn about our identity and who we are in Genesis 1 and 2 is that we discover it as we look to God. We don't decide these things for ourselves. Our identity and purpose come to us as a good gift from God, not something that we grab for ourselves. Let me stop here and say that I know there are people out there whose experiences and past choices do not line up with God's good design for marriage and sexuality. And that's true for every single one of us in some way. But there is always forgiveness of sins to be found in Jesus. And there's always the hope of experiencing lasting moral change in Him as well. God gives us His Holy Spirit precisely so that we can be made holy. Another deep human longing that we find in Genesis 1 and 2 is intimacy. We wonder, where do I find love? We all want to be deeply known, but at the same time, we're afraid to be truly known. We're afraid people will learn things about us that make them want to avoid us. And we want to be deeply loved, but because of these fears about the darkness and shame inside of our hearts, we sometimes hide who we truly are. We hold in sins and struggles with suffering that we're experiencing because we're not sure if it's safe to be open about them. We all know these fears to some degree, and only in the Lord is this longing for intimacy completely and perfectly met. In Christ, we are deeply known and deeply loved at the very same time. God knows every sin and every bit of suffering we have endured, and He loves us beyond our wildest imagination. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the last deep human longing we learn about in Genesis 1 and 2 is number three, influence. This is another perennial question we continually ask. What's my purpose? What am I here for? What should I do with my life? We all want to contribute something significant and leave a dent in the world for good. And in Genesis 1, mankind is given the creation mandate in Genesis 1, 26 or 28, and that is still what we are called to do together. Through our worship and our work, our evangelism and discipleship and the gospel, we are to fill the world with the glory of God. The church is called to enjoy God's presence and equip God's people, all so that we might extend God's peace throughout the world. Our longing is that the borders of His kingdom would be expanded more and more, and that's the direction in which we seek to influence things. So hopefully you see that Genesis 1 and 2 is so foundational to the rest of God's big story. So much is established here in the beginning that continues to impact the story as it unfolds. And just like how the planets in our solar system orbit around the sun, so our lives are meant to revolve around the glorious goodness of God. When God is at the center, it doesn't mean that everything will go splendidly for us, but it does mean that we can move forward in confidence that we are in God's hands no matter what comes our way. And there's nothing more comforting than that. Well, that's a wrap for episode 18 of Informed and Inflamed. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.